Hi guys, and welcome back to the Mystery and Comedy Old Time Radio Podcast. Please join me this morning as I bring our first episode for Spooktober Part 3, starring Mr. Orson Welles, along with three other bone-chilling episodes. In this first episode, Mr. Wells plays a doctor who has conducted an experiment on a primate to see how the brain responds after death. But unfortunately for him, that experiment with the monkey fails and the primate ends up dying anyways. So he conducts his experiment a human being and that man is a well-known Wall Street entrepreneur named William Donovan so Donovan is involved in a horrible accident and instead of operating to try to save his life the doctor operates to end his life. And then he uses a saw to take out Donovan's brain and puts it in the same tube where the monkey's brain was. But this time, the brain responds and thinks for itself. But Unfortunately for the doctor, not only does Donovan's brain think for himself, but Donovan's brain possesses the man, and Donovan conducts his own experiment, even using the doctor as his own personal guinea pig, even after death. And it is called Donovan's Brain. And it is going to be broken in two parts. And in this next episode, a man plays the piano for his living. But unfortunately, due to his love for his music, it blinds his judgment and clouds it where he not only obsesses over his music but it engulfs his love for this woman who he cares about the man is ends up in an accident and instead of losing his life he loses his left hand and then the man becomes so obsessed about getting another hand so he can continue to play that he does the unthinkable and kills a man and cuts off his hand. And it is called The Dead Hand from the old time radio show Murder at Midnight. And in this next episode, a New York couple is in their apartment when all of a sudden a breaking news bulletin breaks out over the radio system and alerts New York of a killer. 
The killer is called The Creeper. The Creeper kills young women who have red hair in a order and does everything but stops killing. So he scrolls a note on the with the victim's lipstick and pleads for heaven's sake catch me before I kill more and unfortunately for the woman who's listening she becomes so frantic and frightened by that that it ends up overtaking her as well and she goes from the drugstore to her apartment frightened that the creeper will strike and come to get her at any moment. So her husband, who's a detective, tries to give her some company, a friend of theirs. But unfortunately, she drives the man away from her home and she is left defenseless against the creeper. But unbeknownst to the young girl named Ginger, She does not know that the creeper is closer than she thinks. And it is called the creeper and it is from And in this last episode, which you may have heard from the White Rose, or the Last Rose of Summer episode, this last one is about a driver. And the driver ends up killing women who look like the woman who betrayed and broke his heart. So, he ends up strangling women and putting a white rose by their body to symbolize his crime. Starring Miss Marine O'Hara. In this, she does not know that the killer is closer than she thinks until the abrupt end and the title of this episode guys is called death has an occupation i hope you guys enjoy mr arson wells and miss marine o'hara and the two bonus episodes from murder at midnight for death has an occupation for spooktober part three 
If you like the show, please comment and subscribe, guys. And always remember to enjoy the show. Thanks. Roma Wines presents Suspense. Roma Wines, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. Salud, your health, senor. Roma Wines toast the world. The wine for your table is Roma Wine, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is the Man in Black, here to introduce this weekly half hour of Suspense. Tonight from Hollywood, we bring you a star, Mr. Orson Welles. This will be the first of two consecutive performances by Mr. Welles, in which he will appear as the protagonist of Kurt Siodmak's novel, Donovan's Brain. The producer of Suspense and its sponsors, the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California, feel that this story is so unusual that it merits more than our usual time. So in somewhat of a departure from established radio formulas, we will bring you the story of Donovan's Brain in two parts. Part one you will hear tonight, and part two next Monday night at this same time. Before we take you to the scene of our drama, let's take a little journey of a different kind. We'll let a bottle of Roma wine serve as Aladdin's lamp. I touch the label, and presto, we are all transported to that capital of gaiety, Havana, Cuba. And now we find ourselves in the charming Pan American Club. At a table nearby, an American has just voiced his delight at the uncommon beauty of the scene. Then his Cuban companion responds, You in America also have much that is uncommon to boast of. Such is this marvelous tasting wine we are enjoying this minute. To enjoy uncommon fine quality, Cuba imports this wine from your own distant California. It is your superb Roma wine. Now just realize what it means when other countries import Roma wines from such great distances. Such international esteem must mean that Roma wines are truly magnificent in quality. And then consider this. You here in America need pay no high import duty, no expensive shipping charges. For these fine Roma wines come from Roma's own wineries in the heart of the rich California wine grape districts. Because so many Americans do realize this good fortune, Roma wines are America's largest selling wines. So why deny yourself this taste delight? Try an inexpensive bottle of tangy, appetizing Roma sherry, or the hearty Roma burgundy, or any of the marvelously enjoyable Roma wines. But remember, these days your favorite dealer may be temporarily out of the type you prefer. Then please try again. Ask for R-O-M-A, Roma Wines. Made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. And now with part one of Donovan's Brain, and with the performance of Orson Welles as Dr. Patrick Corey, we again hope to keep you in suspense. As I sit now outside my laboratory door writing under the heading Experiment 87, this final entry in my casebook, I know that these are the last words I shall ever write upon this earth. I neither ask nor expect forgiveness now or hereafter, but for those who seek some explanation, I refer them simply to this casebook. Let them read it carefully from its first entry on that ill-starred day 
of July the 13th. July 13th. Today I bought a small capuchin monkey from an organ grinder. The animal trembled with fear when I took it into my laboratory and when I tried to pet it, it bit me. But I had to make it trust me completely. Fear causes an excess secretion of adrenaline resulting in an abnormal condition of the bloodstream which would throw off my observations, so I fed it and finally the creature voluntarily crept up into my arms uttering little whimpers of content. When it laid its head against my shoulder, I stabbed it the surgical lancet. It died instantly. Well, David, what do you think of it? Well, it, it's pretty amazing, all right. See what I've done, don't you? I, I think so. You think so? Good Lord, don't you know? Well, after all that, I'm only a second-year medical I student. I know, but what if I was a second-year student? Who is it? It's me, Janet. Come in, darling. Patrick, Dr. Schrott is here to see you. Oh, come on in, doctor. You know our son, David, of course. Yes, of course. How are you, my boy? Fine, thanks, doctor. Well, Patrick, hard at it as usual, <laughs> I see. Patrick, you didn't eat the lunch I sent in to you. Well, what is it this time, Patrick? A brain. What? A brain, a brain, a monkey's brain. Oh. What about the brain, Patrick? I've been trying to see how long I can keep the tissue alive. Oh, is that it in that jar? Oh, there's considerably more to it than just a jar, though. Want to see how it works? Is it still alive? In a way, yes. It's a fairly simple device, actually, Doctor. Variation on Corell's mechanical heart. The brain lies in a bath of blood serum. These... Rubber arteries are fixed to the vertebral and internal carotid arteries of the brain. The blood substance is forced through the cycle of Willis to feed the tissue. Over here, I've installed a small rotary pump that forces the blood circulation, you see? But how do you know it's alive? It's very easy to determine. The brain, when functioning, gives off infinitesimal electrical impulses. They can be measured. As a matter of fact, I've hooked the encephalograph up to a small amplifying system. The brain impulses can actually be heard. Here, I'll turn it on. You see? Quite effective, isn't it? Yes, it's effective. And it's it's wrong, Patrick. Terribly wrong. Oh, I've tried wrong. to tell him, Dr. Schrott. In it's heaven's only... name, what's wrong with this? Oh, Patrick, you and your mechanistic philosophy, trying to reduce life to a mere matter of chemicals and test tubes. The origin of life is from a higher domain than that, Patrick. And you're profaning. Nonsense. You can't stop the progress of science. Every discovery of whatever kind is a step forward. If I can prove that the brain can perform certain functions outside the body, who knows where we may be able to go from there. Oh, Patrick, how, how do you know that thing in there doesn't feel pain? How do you know it isn't writhing in agony? The brain tissue itself is insensitive, you know that? Just a feeling look. I'll switch on the encephalograph. See? There. Notice the faintness of the amplified alpha rays. Notice the comparatively slow rate of pulsation now. Notice what happens when I tap on the glass jar. See? Huh. It feels. It thinks. I wouldn't go so far as to say that, but it certainly shows marked reaction to an external stimulus. I wouldn't have believed it possible. <laughs> the trouble with you, Schrott, is that you don't really believe in science. Uh, have it your own way, Patrick. That's when you can manufacture love and sympathy and kindness in a test tube. I'll be back. You leaving, old boy? Yes. Patrick. Hmm? Do me a favor, Patrick. Shut off the pump and let that poor thing in there die. Let it die? Huh. 
it were within my power to grant that little brain would live forever. July 18th. I'm utterly exhausted from lack of sleep at the events of the past five days have been of such tremendous importance that I must set them down while every last detail is still fresh in my mind. I've had no time to make an entry in this record since that day last week. It seems a month ago now and I had my first partial success with the brain of the Capuchin monkey. At that time, however, it seemed that I was doomed to disappointment. In spite of all my efforts, the brain of the monkey ceased to live at 12.14 that night. Tired and disheartened, I lay down to sleep on the cot in my laboratory, but at that very moment, fate was contriving an occurrence which now seems destined to have the most profound effect not only upon my own existence, but perhaps upon that of all mankind. Huh? Hello? Hello, what is it? Dad. Oh, David, come in, come in. What's the matter? It's Dr. Schrott. There's been an accident or something. He's pretty upset. All right, I'll come. Oh, Patrick, oh, Patrick, thank heavens, my boy. What's the matter, boy? There's, there's been a plane crash on the mountain. Only one of them was left alive, and I've, I've brought him this far, but he, he needs an immediate operation. Oh, sorry, that's your job, your county physician. <clears throat> Patrick, it's, it's multiple fractures of both legs. Ah, the arteries are severed, and the legs will have to be amputated. Huh? You're not in any shape to do the job. Well, I... Well, that's not my fault. Take him to the Phoenix Hospital. I'm not going to take responsibility. Oh, it's too far. Really we'd we never it. get there in time. And Patrick, please, it, it made me a man for life and... And, and I... your job as county physician. No, no, I'm not thinking oh, of right. that, but it's, it's an important man. William H. Donovan. Donovan? Don... The Wall Street Donovan? Yes. You've got to help me, Patrick. Donovan. Hmm. What are his chances? About even, if we hurry. Well, bring him in. Oh, thank you, Patrick. Thank you. You'd better get some things on, David. You may have to help. Yes, uh, and we'll use the laboratory table. Before you go, put the instruments the sterilizer. And don't forget the Geely saw. Right. Oh, but... But, uh, but what? I thought the Geely saw was only used for... For, for brain surgery. Hmm. Not always. Hurry. They'll bring him in now from the car. Okay, Dad. In here. Careful now. That's right. Easy, Dad. Around the Back. table, please. Yes, Doctor. Easy, easy. You better get yourself a gown and gloves, Doctor, right over there. You won't have time to scrub. Yes, thanks, mm-hmm. Doctor. It's bad, isn't it? Pulse rapid. Heart very faint. I wasn't sure. Uh, David, uh, yes, half Dad. cc of adrenaline, David, one to 1,000 intravenous. Right. You men can go now. Is there anything else we no, can do? No, thank you. Patrick, don't you think... I'd rather we were alone, if you don't mind, gentlemen. Well, yes. Good night, then, Dr. Schreier. Doctor. Good night. Good night. Now, David, David, if you remove the blanket from his legs, that's it. All right. Hmm. You see, fortunately, a forest ranger got to him right after the crash had sense enough to put a tourniquet on each leg. Even so, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Sure, sure, sure. We'll get it. Sure, sure, sure. What's he saying? Uh, something like, sure, sure, sure. He said it over and over. Huh. I hadn't realized he was deformed. It doesn't show as much in his pictures. Patrick, don't you think we ought to begin? Oh, there's no use amputating those legs. No use. He'd be dead anyway by morning. Well, won't he? Well, suppose you're right, Patrick. You know I'm right. But still, we ought to try. We can't refuse to operate just We are because... going to operate. Syringe, please, David, the large one. Here you are, Dad. Spinal anesthetic. Will you give it, Dr. Schrock? Right. Scalpel, please, David. Scalpel and the Geely saw. Geely saw? Patrick. Well? No, 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 Patrick. I won't let you. After your performance tonight? Well, I have... 
But, Patrick, he's still alive. Precisely. My mistake with the monkey was that he was dead. I don't intend to make that mistake again. Come on, David, Patrick, the scalpel. Patrick, are you out of your mind? You're, you're, you're taking a man's life. I'm giving him life. Donovan would die anyway. But for a while, at least, Donovan's brain will live. Better hurry, they'll be coming for the body pretty soon. Yeah, you can go now, David. I David, think I will, uh, then. You understand, of course? Yes, I understand. Not a word, not a word to your mother or to anyone. I understand. Yeah, did you put something in the skull cavity oh, so yeah. the eyes won't fall? I filled it with cotton bandage, the whole cranium. It looked like any head injury. I hope nobody gets any ideas about an autopsy. You're the coroner, you can stop there. Look, Schwartz. This is a chance that comes once in a lifetime. William Donovan had one of the greatest minds, has one of the greatest brains in the world today. And now you have it. Uh, it's Turn madness, on the encephalograph. Uh, simple simple alpha waves, waves of course, no different from the monkeys. You can't take a human brain out of its body and expect it to function. I suppose not, but... Trot! Did it ever occur to you that the brain might simply be asleep? Asleep? Certainly. An operation like that is a severe shock. Tap on the glass. Good Lord, Patrick. Delta waves. It was asleep you woke it up. It's actually conscious. You see, you see, the three of us. Three of us conducting this experiment now. You and me and William Horace Donovan. July 25th, I moved my bed into the laboratory, but I've scarcely slept in six days. I mean, no longer any doubt that the brain responds like a sensitive seismograph to vibrations near it, including the sound of my voice. Yet I found no method of communication with it. I've devised a simplified Morse code consisting of taps on the glass container, together with voice vibrations. Perhaps, perhaps I can teach the brain. July 30th, Schrott has come to stay with me, half out of a feeling that he shares with me a common guilt, half out of scientific curiosity. I've scarcely seen him, and both David and Janice have been avoiding me, not that I really care. They've been tapping out my code on the side of the brain's container endlessly, day and night, over and over, a thousand times, so that a baby could learn it, if the brain can learn. I sleep only when the brain itself falls into exhausted slumber. When it wakes again, I resume my tapping. Yes, old boy, I want to show you something. Patrick, you look like a ghost. Where are we going? Back to the laboratory. I can't believe it myself. I, I may have been dreaming delirious. What's happened? Come on. You hear that? Delta waves. It seems 
perfectly certain. You've got to check my observations for me. If my reasoning is wrong, tell me. I can't be sure of anything anymore. Yes, now, listen carefully. You'll know that I've been trying to communicate with the brain in code now. If I were able to cause a distinctive pattern of the brain's delta waves by a specific command in code, if the brain responded with the same pattern of sound each time I issued the command, it would prove that I'd succeeded in communicating with the brain, wouldn't it? Yes, Frederick, I think it would. Now, listen... Donovan, if you understand, think three times of the word talk. Three times. Talk. 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 It answered. It spoke. Then I'm right. It's true, this thing has learned to talk. To talk! July 31st. Charlotte's romanticizing, of course, the Delta pattern is so infinitely complex that it would be utterly impossible ever to break it down into specific words, yet that it understands me, that it's trying to communicate with me, is certain. Charlotte suggests mental telepathy, that I try to make my mind a blank, as the mediums call it, while at the same time increasing the energy content of the plasma that feeds the brain in the hope of stepping up the brain's electrical potential as one would step up the power of a radio station. Naturally, telepathy is nonsense, but... The feeding theory intrigues me. I shall try it. August 12th. Notice today for the first time two distinct nodules of new brain cells on the frontal lobex. The electrical potential has increased to 510 microvolts. I, I, I've become smoking cigars. I, although I've always hated cigars before... Nerves, I expect. August 22nd, nodules still growing, electrical potential 1450, but no observable results. Lately felt a compelling urge to know more of Donovan's life and have collected every available scrap of information about him. A strange man he was. Strange, ruthless, actually evil in many ways but nonetheless an extraordinarily brilliant mind. you up, Patrick. You were moaning asleep. in your sleep, talking. Uh, talking? What did I say? I'm not sure, but your voice was so strange that... Janice, Janice, what's the matter? Oh, it's nothing, nothing. I was dreaming, that's all. Janice woke me up. Patrick, let me see your hand. My hand? No, the other hand one. For? What about it? You're not left-handed, are you? No. Then why have you got ink on the fingers of your left hand? Well, I don't know. 
Were you writing anything tonight? No. You must have been, Patrick. Here it is, right here on your desk. Nonsense. Wait, let me see it. Well, you've been writing his name, William H. William Donovan. H. Donovan Schrott, that's not my handwriting. It's... What? Don't you see what it means? The brain has communicated with me. Patrick, you don't... Look here. Look at this magazine article. Here's a reproduction of his signature. And he was left-handed, too. It says so here. Why, it is. It, it oh, is exactly the what same. What a fool I've been. Look at this picture smoking a cigar. With his left hand, I wondered why it suddenly started smoking cigars. The same brand, too. Janice, try to remember what you heard me saying just before you woke me up. Come on, Janice. Think. Patrick, I, I can't believe... Think, Janice. All I heard was something like... Sure, sure, sure. Sure, sure, sure. Of course. Don't you remember, Schrott? He said it that night. It was the only thing we ever heard him say. It, it, it was an expression of his. It tells about that in one of the articles, too. Yes, it, there it is. It right wasn't there. your voice, Patrick. It wasn't my voice. You see, the brain has grown. And it's strong enough to influence not only the higher functions, the frontal lobe, but the speech centers, the motor centers of another brain. Patrick, if this is true, then your experiment has been successful. It's ended. Ended? Oh, it's only begun. Patrick. Don't you see what this means? Patrick, listen to me. Oh, what, Janice? What? You've got to stop. Stop? I can't stand it any longer. Can't you see where it's led you? When you cut yourself off from your family, when you neglected your health, began having fits of temper and were like... like someone I hardly recognize as the man I married. All that I tried to understand... But don't you see what you've done? You are a murderer, Patrick, a murderer. Oh, Janice, darling. David told me the whole thing. That poor boy's half insane himself from worry. Insane? What do you mean by that? What I say. You killed Donovan. Janice, Maybe darling. he wouldn't admit anyway. But you killed him. And now this, this thing has gained such power over your mind that it can make you do things you don't even know about. For all you know, it could make you do anything. Anything. You've got to choose, Patrick. Oh, Janice, please. I suppose you're right, but I'm utterly exhausted. I can't even think anymore. You've got to think. Give me until tomorrow. Let me sleep, and then tomorrow I'll do something. I promise you. All right, Patrick. Tomorrow. But if you don't do something, if you don't destroy that this... thing, I will. The brain. It's almost as though it heard you and were raging. Raging at you. <laughs> Way, please, Dr. Come Corey. on, darling. But, Patrick, hmm? why are we going in here? A psychiatric clinic? I told you I'd do something, Janice. I've, I've got an idea. You I... mean you're you're having yourself psychoanalyzed? Well... Something like that? Something like that. I'll, I'll tell you about it later. First, I want, I want you to talk to this man alone. Dr. Zanger, this is Dr. Corey. Oh. How do you do, Dr. Corey? How do you I've heard do, something of your work. Oh, yes. And this is Mrs. Corey. Of course, excuse me. I'm happy to meet you, Mrs. Corey. Thank you, Doctor. Uh, won't you come into my office? I, I will certainly. Janice, would you mind, darling, waiting in the reception room? We'll be out in just a moment. Thank you. Why, certainly, dear. In here, please, Doctor. Very well. Well, Doctor, she seems quite normal. I'd expected from what you told me on the telephone. That... I... I know, I... No, I, I... I can assure you, I, I... I hate to tell you this, but... Uh, doctor... 
she's quite insane. I see. Yes. Uh, uh, paranoia. She, she's always been, you know, jealous of my work. And, well, last little while she started. She's got a, a delusion that she thinks I've made some kind of a monster in, up in, in my laboratory. It controls my mind and, and controls my actions. Huh. So uh, I'm, I'm putting her completely in your hands. Oh, well, it's, it's of course a little unusual, but since you are yourself a medical man... That's right. Uh, you definitely wish to commit her then, huh? Yes. Yes. You have the papers. Oh, yes. Here you are. Uh, just your signature will be enough, though. All right. There you are. Uh, you, you let me know about everything, won't you? Oh, naturally, Doctor. We keep yeah. you informed. Thank you. Well, goodbye then, Dr. Corey. We, we'll do what we can. Oh, Patrick? Uh, Mrs. Corey is staying with us, Miss Wilcox. Yes, Dr. Zanger. Patrick? Come back! Patrick! Oh, it's all right, Mrs. Corey. Just come with me, please. Patrick! No. Where are you going? Let me go! Let me go! Oh, Dr. Corey? Yes? Oh, about the bill, how do you wish it to be handled? Uh, the bill? The... The bill? Sure, sure, sure. I, I'll take care of it by the week. The checks will be signed uh, William H. Donovan. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> August 20th. It's nearly three weeks now since Janice went away. I can't understand how she could have left me just when I needed her most. When I try to question Shrod or David about it, they only look at me strangely and change the subject. Clearly, they too now are in on the conspiracy. Sometimes it seems the only person I can trust is Donovan. The brain communicates with me more freely now each day. I know it has some great plan in mind for me, for both of us. I'm waiting, patiently waiting. <laughs> Donovan! Donovan, I I'm listening, Donovan. Don't be angry, Donovan. I'm trying to understand. I I'm listening, Donovan. I'm listening. I I I'm li <laughs> Sure. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. <laughs> And so closes Donovan's Brain, part one, the first of two half-hour presentations of Kutsyod Mack's story, presenting Orson Welles as star of Suspense. Suspense is produced and directed by William Spear.
We sincerely hope you enjoyed the performance of Orson Welles and that of the whole cast tonight in our Roma Suspense play, and that you'll make a note to be sure not to miss the completion of this story next week. The Roma Wine Company would like to express its thanks for the many letters of appreciation from listeners which we are constantly receiving, saying how much you enjoy these broadcasts. And here's a thought. To discover the enjoyment these suspense programs offer, you first had to sample one. And so you must first sample one of the many delicious Roma wines to discover for yourself their wonderful taste and quality, the excellence that makes Roma America's largest selling wines. You'll discover, as of other millions before you, that Roma wines are super quality, are super tasting, and are super easy on your pocketbook, too, costing only pennies a glass. Be sure you get R-O-M-A, Roma Wines, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. The greatest and most profitable investment you can make in your country's future is to buy war bonds. Don't forget, then, next Monday you will hear part two of Donovan's Brain, starring Orson Welles, in the completion of this remarkable tale of suspense. Presented by Roma Wines, R-O-M-A, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Roma Wines presents Suspense. Roma Wines. Made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. Salute to your health, senor. Roma Wines toast the world. The wine for your table is Roma Wine. Made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is the man in black. Here to introduce this weekly half hour of suspense. Tonight from Hollywood, we again bring you Mr. Orson Welles. In the second of two consecutive performances starring Mr. Wells as the protagonist of Kurt Siodmak's novel, Donovan's Brain. The producer of Suspense and its sponsors, the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California, felt this story so unusual that it merited more than our usual time. So in somewhat of a departure from established radio formulas, we are bringing you the story of Donovan's Brain in two parts. Part one you heard last Thursday. And tonight you will hear part two, the completion of Donovan's Brain. But before we raise the curtain on our suspense play, let's for a moment wish ourselves away to Havana, Cuba, seated at a table in the fashionable Hotel de Nacional de Cuba. Near us, a, gr a group of Cubans are entertaining an American visitor. Our American has just remarked that in point of great enjoyment, the Cuban rumba is one of America's most delightful imported dances. And then... Raising his wine glass, the Cuban host responds, Then we have perhaps discharged some part of our debt to you Americans for this wonderful tasting wine that gives us such great enjoyment. It is wine that Cuba imports from your faraway California. It is Roma wine. 
Americans didn't have to wait for wine connoisseurs of other lands to discover the greatness of California's wine districts, the superb quality of Roma California wines. So many millions made this discovery for themselves that Roma wines have long been America's largest selling wines. But these millions discovered something more. In Roma wines, they discovered an easy and expensive way to increase the delights of daily living. Yes, millions have discovered that Roma wines, as a beverage on the table, and when used in entertaining, add a charm of a special and wholesome kind. I told you Roma wines cost little. That's because here in America, you pay no high import duty, no expensive shipping charges. And two, Roma wines come from Roma's own wineries in the heart of choice California vineyard districts. So cost to you is only pennies a glass for R-O-M-A Roma Wines, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. And now with part two of Donovan's Brain and with the performance of Orson Welles as Dr. Patrick Corey, we again hope to keep you in suspense. As I sit now outside my laboratory door writing under the heading Experiment 87, this final entry in my casebook, I know that these are the last words I shall ever write upon this earth. For those who seek some explanation, I refer them simply to this casebook. Let them read it carefully. Perhaps they may then in some measure understand, if not condone, the awful circumstances under which I have been driven to the most appalling crime against God and nature that it has ever been the fate of mortal man to perpetrate. August 24th. It's now six weeks, exactly 42 days, since I began the experiment. For six weeks, by artificial means alone, I have kept alive a human brain, completely detached from the body, floating in a bath of serum nourished by a synthetic blood plasma fed through its arteries by an electric pump. It has remained alive, not only alive, but I have succeeded in communicating with it. For I have even induced new growth of brain cells and so tremendously increased its mental faculties that by sheer brain power alone, has actually been able to communicate its thoughts to me. And each day, my communion with that living, pulsing mass of gray matter that was the brain of William Donovan becomes stronger and stronger. Even now, I sense it's striving to reveal some plan to me, something so truly world-shaking in its implications that only such an organism, developed to a point thousands of years ahead of its time, could ever have conceived it. So far, I sense this only, but soon... I shall know, indeed, I shall be partner in its execution. What a fool I was ever to have considered for a moment my wife's demand that I end the experiment. It's because I refused, of course, that Janice left me a week ago without so much as a word of explanation or farewell. Even my son David and my assistant Charlotte are privy to this conspiracy to thwart me, for when I ask about Janice, they pretend to know nothing. They seek to avoid my questions. But the brain will live. Yes. <laughs> I can hear it now. Its delta waves quite audible over the amplifying system I've arranged for it. Almost as though it were calling to me, trying to speak to me. The brain will live. Donovan? What is it? What are you trying to tell me? Go on, Donovan. 
I'm listening. Go on. Go on. Go. Who is it? What do you want? I'm no time to talk. I'm busy. I'm sorry. Go away, I tell you. I'm busy. Can't you two leave me alone? All right, all right. What is it? What is it? Patrick, won't you come into the study with us for a few minutes? Whatever you've got to say, you say right here. You know I can't leave the laboratory. Dad, it's only that well, we wanted to talk to you in, in private. Well, don't tell me that you're afraid of this poor mass of brain cells here. It's not that, Dad, but we... Well, never mind, David. <laughs> At least turn that thing off then, will you, Patrick? <laughs> what difference would it make? It could still hear, couldn't it? Well, what is it then? Well, it's... it's about Mother. So, she put you up to this, did she? I thought the truth would come out sometime. Dad, listen... She's trying to stop this experiment from the beginning. She thought she could blackmail me into quitting by leaving me, and she still does. And now Patrick. she's using you as a go-between. Patrick, true, listen a minute, won't enough. you? enough. We haven't heard a word from Janice. We don't even know where she is. That's what we've come to talk to you about. Oh, have you? Well, how could I know where she is? Well, because you were the last person seen with her, Dad. I was. Don't you remember, Patrick? You took her into town with you. You, you wouldn't tell any of us why. Yes, of course, the more I've forgotten, but what of it? Well, don't you remember what happened then? Of course I remember. She left me, that's all. Where, Dad? Where did she leave you? Well, what I, were you doing? I don't know. We were in some big public building, city hall, courthouse, taxis or something. Next thing I knew, she'd simply disappeared. I... Is that all? Didn't yeah. she say anything? Didn't she at least tell you why she was going? No, I remember what she said. It's been a week or more. I've hardly slept. You know, I've been working night and day. Yes, that's just it, Patrick. What do you mean by that? Patrick, you say this. The, the brain communicates well, with you. Tells you yes. things about his past life. Suggests thoughts. Yes, Well, yes. if the brain can make you think of things, mightn't it also be able to make you forget things? You're out of your mind. Dad, are you sure... Are you sure you don't know what's happened to Mother? No, I tell you, no, I but don't Patrick, know. Patrick, don't you see what you might have done? What? In heaven's name, stop now while there's still time. Get out of here. While there's still time to help Janice, if there is. While there's still time to help yourself. Shut off the current. Get Let the brain out. die. Kill it, Patrick. Kill it. Get out, both of you. Get out. Get out. August 26th, the brain continues to communicate thought fragments more and more easily, but nothing further on what I've come to think of as the plan. I'm now sleeping a great deal, but my dreams are becoming increasingly troublesome, although I'm at a loss to analyze them. Most frequent is a sort of vast cosmic ballet presided over by the colossal figure of a young man whom I seem to recognize, yet I never, never see his face. It's as though the entire population of the Earth were moving past him in review at his command. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Now. Do it now. Now. Sure, sure, now. Help me, someone! Mine, I help me with shot. He's fainted. No, no, David, don't let him. It's yeah. all right now. Here's a glass of water. 
What's the matter? You're trembling all over. I... You look I can't... that way for you. Look... Look, I'm frightened after death. Dad, you... What happened here? Anyway, I came and found you on the floor with your hands around your own throat. Dad went for me. Why is your luggage all packed? I was going to leave. Leave? In the middle of the night? Why? Because The fuse I... marks has been opened. It was you, Schrott. You were going to shut off the current. You were going to kill the brain. Patrick, you tried to strangle me. What? It's true, Dad. That's why I had to slap you. But... It's absurd. I came in here and found Schrott with his hands around his own throat. He was strangling himself. Dad, please, think a minute. Nobody can strangle himself. Look at these marks on my throat. No. You think I could have done that? Well, it's, it's not possible, and yet... It's true, Patrick, that I tried to shut off the current. I was afraid for you. But as I opened the fuse box, I heard the delta waves in the laboratory suddenly become stronger and louder than they'd ever been before. And then... Then... Then I... Yes. Then the brain knew... You even spoke in Donovan's voice, Donovan's Patrick. Voice, his that voice. recurring phrase of his, sure, 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 in his very tones, his very sure, accent. Sure. You've created a monster, Patrick. It has the power to make me commit murder. The brain, the brain must die. Pull the switch in the fuse box, Patrick. It will only be a matter of seconds, yes. and then. Yes, I, I. But I. But I... You've got to, Patrick. Schrott, David, help me. I can't move. Come yeah, to me. You... Pull the switch, hurry. Schrott, David, go on. You? You too? It's paralyzed, dispatch. The brain won't let itself be killed. Then, then it has the power to live on. And on. To command us as long as we live. To make us do anything it wants. To kill. Murder. Dad, what are we going to do? Listen. Uh, the brain. It's... It's... Laughing. Laughing. September 7th, Schrott has left. He had to, of course, for his own protection, if nothing else. Before he left, he swore to eternal secrecy and was going to try to find Janice. The very thought that any harm might come to her through me is enough to drive me almost mad. As for David, although he's strong enough to prevent any untoward accidents, I don't know, he's, he's volunteered to stay with me. I, he'll sleep at night behind locked doors. We must devote every faculty we possess together and independently to finding a way of destroying the brain. Perhaps while it sleeps, although it seems to have developed tremendous powers of the subconscious which operate even in sleep. The recurring dream, the now oppressive sense of some further task to be performed continues. If Janice were only here, even her presence I know would help immeasurably to combat this fearful thing terrible thought crosses my mind. Could Trot have left if the brain had not, for some reasons of its own, actually wanted him to leave? September 10th. My thoughts are less and less my own. 
The dream of the young giant bestriding the earth. The figure without a face pursues me now, even in my waking hours. Increasingly, I seem to live in a world of evil fantasy, peopled and controlled by the mind of William Donovan. My darling, Janice. Hello, Patrick. Yes, sweetheart. How are you, Patrick? Oh, I'm well enough, I'm well enough. But, Dennis, where have you been? Janice, why did you leave me that day? Why didn't you at least tell me? Where did you go, darling? I was with friends. Well, did Trot tell you anything? No, nothing special. Well, Janice, I know I haven't been a very good husband these last months. I haven't been very kind or very considerate or even civilized. I, I haven't been myself, Janice. I know, Patrick. My poor darling. If you'd only known how I missed you after you left, how I needed you. I need your help, Jess. I know, Patrick. I I came back to help you. But... But what? Where's David? He's he's asleep in the next room. That is, lately he's tried to make a point to sleep only when I didn't. Trying to keep an eye on things. Patrick, I'm going to help you. All I can. Any way I can. But first, I want to take David away. David? Why? Because I don't think it's good for him to be here. No? I don't think that you... Uh, Patrick, I don't want to torment you. It's only that perhaps we can find a way if we know all the facts. What, Janice? Don't you know, really, where I was? No, how could I? Don't you remember where you took me? Where? I took you? I don't... You took me to a psychiatric, psychiatric clinic. clinic. You had me committed to a madhouse. Oh, Janice. No, that... not you, Donovan. Donovan. It was because I tried to make you stop the experiment. Yes. Kill the brain. As you left me there, you even spoke in Donovan's voice. Sure, 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 you said. Sure, sure. I thought they were the last words I would ever hear you speak. Oh, Janice, forgive me. Forgive me, Ben. I couldn't persuade anyone. I was sane. Oh, sweet. After what you told them, everything I said only made them think I was mad. Hmm. I'm not mad. Am I, Patrick? I'm not mad. Am I? Am I? Janice will be gone for some three hours. I've sent her into town for Dr. Zanger, the psychiatrist. Maybe he can help, but now suddenly I'm... 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 I'm overcome with the thought of the humiliation I shall have to suffer when other other medical men become aware of the position I'm in. It'll be the end of my career and my reputation or my hopes. But folly to think that Zang would keep it to himself, indeed. I'd, he'd have no right to. I, I, 
I can bear it if I must, but another way, a possibility occurs to me, and I've, I've been thinking it over. There's no harm in trying it in any event. I, I must try. I, I have three hours. David! David! David, what's your blood type? Do you know your blood type? As a matter of fact, I, well, I don't think I do. Why? Uh, no matter. We can easily find out. David, I, I think at last I know a way. To kill the brain? It's simple. It's perfectly natural. And yet nine chances out of ten is something Donovan has never known about. I, I'll do it myself. Unfortunately, my blood type and his are... Uh, they're the same. Transfusion? Uh, of course. I have to replenish the blood substance periodically. Anyway, it's about time to do it again. I, I've always used my own because it was the same type as his. But if yours is a different type... The right type, David. You mean the wrong type? You, you, yes, you've given the wrong... The brain the, the brain will die given the wrong type. Yeah, it's possible. I, I, I'm sure of that. I know it. But suppose uh, the brain yes. knows it knows other things. I, I, I've thought of that. It's a chance we'll have to take if you're willing, David, my boy. Of course I am. Then Dad. we'll take the blood sample now. Come into the laboratory. We only have the right blood type. Sure. Rather the wrong type. Now, if you haven't, we'll find someone who has, maybe... Maybe shot. Now, lie down there on the table, David. We, we want a tourniquet on your arm here. A I'll small syringe will do it. Go ahead. I'm ready. David, don't watch me. It'll be easier if you, easier if you don't. For me. That's a funny one. Coming from you. Well, the doctors are never quite as steady with members of their own family, you know. Ready? Sure. Ready? <laughs> here we are. You, you all right? Yeah, yeah. He'll be through in just a second. You, you getting it? All yes, right. Yes, sure, sure. Just a second now. Dad, I, I'm sleepy. You'll be over it in a minute. But what's the matter? Why, am, why am I so sleepy? You'll be all right. Sleepy, so sleepy. <laughs> Sure, sure, sure. Sure, sure, sure. That's what an anesthetic is for. Make you sleep. I was somewhat surprised to find the instrument sterilized already laid out, but I worked more rapidly and skillfully than ever before in my life, I think. I made an incision just below the hairline, laying back the scalp as far as the base of the skull. I trepanned the cranium at two centimeter intervals, working back and downwards to the upper edge of the occipital bone. With the Geely saw, I cut through the connecting bone structure and removed the entire top of the cranium, placing it in saline solution to preserve it. I made a semicircular incision in the dura mater, laying it to one side, exposing the brain. As I dissected out the facial, auditory, and pneumogastric nerves to free the medulla oblongata, I, I, I became conscious of an insistent clamoring, something like a mounting hysteria in the distant reaches of my mind. Almost as strong as the irresistible compulsion that drove me on. But my hand did not falter. With a sure stroke, I severed the spinal cord just below the first cervical nerve.
As I make this last entry with that awful guilt upon my soul, even now I cannot fully comprehend how it has been possible for any man, by mortal or immortal means, to be driven to such a crime. Even the divinity himself did not demand of Abraham that final sacrifice of expiation. When he, with his only begotten son, ascended the Mount of Olives. Hmm. Perhaps Schrott is right. Perhaps there is indeed in man some spark of the divine that will elude our test tubes and our laboratories until the end of time. Perhaps that is the one thing that even Donovan did not foresee. I only know that at the instant my son died under my own hand, I was set free. At that instant, I saw and understood for the first time that monstrous plan born in the brain of William Donovan, of which I was to be the instrument. It was the plan I had glimpsed but never grasped in the recurring dream. Donovan did aspire to the domination of the world. And with those tremendous mental faculties that I myself had given him, it was literally within his power to become the absolute ruler of all mankind. Only one thing was lacking, a body, a body, a young, strong body into which those ever-growing brain cells could graft and affix themselves to live on and on, perhaps, for centuries. He chose the body of my son, and now, my son, at last too late, I am free to destroy this foul thing of my creation. I know it as surely as I know that my own life must be forfeit. And the brain also knows. I can hear the disturbed, erratic oscillations of the delta waves coming through the laboratory door. But there's no room left in me now for fear. I shall take the six steps from the desk where I'm writing this across to the laboratory door. How often I've taken them in happier times. I shall open the door, close it behind me for the last time, and write finis to the mortal life of Patrick Arthur Corey and the brain of William Horace Donovan. May others learn from the record I leave here the lessons I have learned so bitterly and profit by them. And for the things that I have done, may God have mercy on my soul. Phoenix, Arizona, September the 15th. The bodies of Dr. Patrick Arthur Corey and his son David were found in Dr. Corey's own laboratory early today. Young Corey had apparently died on the operating table as a result of a delicate brain operation performed by his father. In the case of Dr. Corey, medical authorities gave us their opinion that he might have died of shock as a result of the unsuccessful operation on his son. 
A curious feature of the case was the fact that numerous pieces of tissue identified as being from a human brain were found scattered about the laboratory floor, while a larger section of brain was found in the midst of an elaborate apparatus, evidently part of a scientific experiment. Medical authorities stated, however, that they were unable to explain the nature of the apparatus and that the brain itself was in such a state of decomposition as to indicate that it had been dead and slowly decaying for at least three months. Dr. Corey is survived by his wife, Janice. She was committed to the county asylum for the insane late this afternoon. Burial of Dr. Corey will be at the Mount of Olives Cemetery. So closes Donovan's Brain, Part 2, the completion of two half-hour presentations of Kutz Yodmak's story presenting Orson Welles as star of Suspense. Suspense is produced and directed by William Spear. Did you know that these Roma Wine suspense dramas are setting a record for the millions of delighted listeners they are attracting? We want you to feel that by tuning in the suspense program every week, you can count on real radio enjoyment. Well, in even more dramatic style, the popularity of Roma wines is also record-breaking because Roma wines are by far America's largest selling wines. Millions make sure of great wine enjoyment simply by asking for Roma wines. Here's something else these millions have discovered. You don't need fancy glassware or a special occasion to enjoy these zestful, taste-delighting Roma California wines. Roma wines possess lip-smacking flavor and zest because they come from Roma Wines' own wineries, right in the heart of the magnificent California wine grape districts. And you can enjoy them as a daily delight, because the cost is only pennies a glass. Ask for R-O-M-A, Roma Wines, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is Orson Welles. Next week, Mr. William Spear tells me, and he'd like me to pass the information on to you... That suspense will bring two exceptionally fine artists, Miss Ida Lupino and Mr. Vincent Price, in a play by one of radio's outstanding authors, Lucille Fletcher. I want to hear that, and I know you will too. Money invested in war bonds now helps ensure a healthy, prosperous post-war America, the kind of America we will want for our children as well as ourselves. Don't forget then, next Thursday you will hear Ida Lupino and Vincent Price in... Suspense! Presented by Roma Wines, R-O-M-A, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Wait, nothing. I said you were nuts. Crazy. And... No. No, don't. I'm sorry, Hook. Very sorry. But I had to have it. I'm going to have it. And once you're dead, 
You'll never miss it. Midnight. The witching hour when the night is darkest. Our fears the strongest. And our strength at its lowest ebb. Midnight. When the graves gape open and death strikes. How? You'll learn the answer in just a minute. In... The Dead Hand. And now, Murder at Midnight. Tales of terror and retribution by one of radio's best-known mystery writers, Robert Newman. Its title... The Dead Hand. The small studio cottage on Dr. Martin Trent's estate. Seated at the piano, alone in the gathering darkness, is Roger Blaine, the famous pianist, and playing as only he can play. And I heard you playing, so... That's not why you came, Lorna. You came because I called you. Because you promised you'd come and give me your answer. What we talked about last night, my going away with you? Roger, I I must have been mad. I I don't know what got into me. Don't you, Lorna? This is what got into you. My music. Telling you things I never could tell you in words. Roger, stop. I I can't think when you play like that. I I can't leave him. He's my husband. I love him. Respect him. Can you love a surgical instrument? Can you compare what you feel towards him with what you feel to... Now, this minute? No. No, it is different. Roger, how can we? He's your friend. It was he that brought you here, gave you the cottage. And haven't I given him anything? Music like this. Music such as no one has ever heard before. Roger, I... Lorna, listen to me. To what I'm saying here. I love you. I need you. It was you who helped me find depths within myself I never knew existed. You've got oh. to come away with me. You owe it to me, to yourself, to the world. Roger, you please. Want to. You know you want to. And you're going to. Roger, no, I, I, you're going I can't. To. I tell you, I... Talk to Martin when he gets home tonight. Tell him. I, I think he No, Lorna, there'll be no talking, no explaining. My car's outside and we're leaving right now. The music, my music, was still with me as we drove out through the gates, down the highway, pulsing, throbbing. Yes, I could hear it, but could Lorna? 
I glanced at her sitting there beside me. Happy, dearest? What? I don't know, Roger. You don't know? Don't you realize what this means, Lorna? I'm playing better than I ever played before, and this is only the beginning. After my New York concert, South America, then Europe... Roger, are you sure you love me? Me, as a person? My sure... Oh, what do you mean, Lorna? I know you've said you do, but... Whenever you've talked about it, Roger, ab- about us, you've talked in terms of your music. Roger, are you sure that's not what you love? Well, of course I'm sure. If I didn't have my music... If... I couldn't play. I don't think I could live. But I know. it was you. You who lifted me to heights I never dreamed of, technically, emotionally. Roger, stop the car. Turn around take me back. What? Take me back. I don't understand. I do, for the first time. With Martin away so much, I was lonely, flattered by your attention. And your music was like a drug, keeping me from thinking. But now I can think. And I know you don't love me, and I don't love you, so... Please, Roger, take me back. No. But, Roger, can't you see? This whole thing was a mistake. It was not a mistake. And I won't take you back. Well, I'm going back, whether you take me or not. And if you won't stop the car, I... No, let go of that brake. Let go of that brake. Look out. We're going to... When I opened my eyes, I was in a bare white room in a hospital. Standing next to the bed, Lorna and Martin. Hello, Roger. How are you feeling? Well, I... I don't know. What happened? You were out driving with Lorna. The car got out of control and you had a smash-up. They rushed you here to the hospital and... Well, you've been here for two days. Smash-up? Yes, I remember. Are you all right, Lorna? Yes, Roger. I was shaken up. Oh, my hand hurts. Especially the fingers. Nothing... Happened to her, did it, Martin? I've got a concert in a few weeks, you know. Roger, don't stop it. What? Why are you looking at me like that? Oh, I... Don't worry about it, Roger. Not now. Well, I've got to know. I've got to... Roger, please! It's gone. Gone. My hand... My left hand. Martin, what did you do to me? Roger, I think you know how I feel about you, about your music. You've got to believe me when I tell you there was nothing I could do about it. Nothing. It was your hand or your life. My life? And what is my life without my music? Nothing. Worse than nothing. A living death. Why didn't you let me die? Don't say that, Roger. We'll do anything we can. There must be something. Something. We... There's just one thing. You've got to get me another hand. We will, Roger. There have been some wonderful developments in prosthetics no, as a result no, no, of the no. war. I don't mean an artificial hand. I mean a real hand. What? Roger, you're mad. No, no, I'm not. You took my hand and you'll get me another one. Oh, we'll talk about it some other time. You think Roger. I'll forget about it, don't you? Don't you? No, oh, I won't. I say I'm going to have another hand and I will have one. And what's more, you're going to help me get it to you here. You're going to help me. I was able to get up and around a few days later. I didn't talk to anyone if I could help it. Because somehow I couldn't ever look at their faces, only their hands. Big hands and little ones, long-fingered ones and stubby ones. Yes, 
They each had two hands. And I, I to whom my piano meant more than life, had only one. Then, sitting alone one evening, I met Hook. I looked up, and there he was, a small, slight, sharp-featured man. Hello. Nice evening. Yes, I suppose it is. Hey, you mind if I sit down for a couple of minutes? No. I uh, wasn't usually busting on anybody except... Well, I'm getting out of here tomorrow, and I feel pretty good about it. Oh? What was wrong with you? A bad heart. I'm going to have to take it easy from now on. It's going to make it kind of tough in some ways, but... Uh, you don't happen to have a cigarette on you, do you? Mm. Well, yes, I do have. It's a... They're... Well, at least I did have a silver cigarette case. I can't seem Is, uh, to find it. Is it? What? Oh, yeah. Where did you find it? In your pocket. You You mean you, you took it? Uh, my name's Harris, Joe Harris. You usually call me the hook. Uh, oh. This is my racket. Or you rather, it was until I... You're a pickpocket. <laughs> well, one of the best in the business. But now with my ticket going bad, I guess I'll have to lay off, except like now for a gag. You didn't mind, did you? <laughs> well, certainly not. I'm, I'm very impressed. Uh, as a matter of fact, do you mind if I look at your hands? Look at them? What for? They're beautiful. As beautiful a pair of hands as I've ever seen. It occurs to me that you... You say that you don't know what you're going to do when you leave the hospital here. Well, I just hadn't thought about it much. Why? Now, I've got a proposition that might... It just might possibly interest you. No kidding. What? Well, I'd rather not discuss it with you here and now, but I expect to be leaving here myself on Friday. If you'd like to come and see me sometime after you that... You say where and when? Well, I've been staying at a little cottage on Dr. Martin Prince's estate. I'll probably be going back there. How about uh, Saturday night? Late, around 11.30. Fine. Okay with me. Then... It's a date. I left him there. Hurried back to my room. I wanted to be alone had to be alone, for I was afraid that what was on my mind might show in my face. It certainly was a date. A date with death. A man obsessed, half mad, and his unsuspecting victim. Will both of them still be alive to hear it when the clock strikes twelve for... Murder! Midnight. And now, here is Roger Blaine to continue Murder at Midnight. I did leave the hospital on Friday, went back to the little studio cottage. By Saturday night, my arrangements were completed. They weren't very complicated. I made it clear to Lorna and Martin that I wanted to be alone. And I picked up a length of iron pipe. The pipe I hid inside the piano when I heard footsteps coming down the path. There was a knock on the door. Come in. Hi. Uh, not too late, am I? No, you're not too late. Hey, pretty nice place you got here. Yes, it is quite nice. Sit down. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Now, what's this here proposition you want to talk to me about? It's a very simple one. How would you like to make $10,000? What do I have to do? You don't have to do anything. Just sell me something. Your left hand. What? <laughs> You're nuts. No, I'm serious. 
I've got the money right here in cash. Well, I I don't I don't get it. I just don't understand. Look, I'm a musician. I'm a pianist. Or I was until I lost my hand. If I can't go on playing, then life doesn't mean anything to me, my own life or anyone else's. But you, how important is your hand to you now? An artificial one will do almost as well. And you can live for quite a while on $10,000. You mean you really thought I'd sell you my hand? Let you cut it off? I'm getting out of here. Look, wait. Wait, nothing. I said you was nuts, but I didn't really think... What are you going to do with that? No. No, don't you can't. Some way. Somehow I'll get you for this. I swear. I'm sorry, Hook. Very sorry. But I have to have it. I'd rather not go into what happened after that. I... I got rid of the body. Then I went to see Martin. You don't look well, Roger. Anything the matter? No, I just came to see you about your promise. My promise? Oh, your debt, whichever you choose to call it. I told you I wanted another hand, that I was going to get another hand, and that you were going to help me. Well, now you can help me. What? What do you mean? Look in here, in this package. See? Good Lord. Where did you get this? It might be better if you didn't ask too many questions. I'm fighting for my life, for more than my life. You took my hand away from me. Well, now you can give me this one. You mean you honestly, seriously think that I can perform an operation of this sort, do a graft, and that after I'm finished, you'll be able to use the hand? Why not? Operations of this sort have been done, haven't they? With other parts of the body? The eye? The cornea, not the eye. And some nerve grafting has been done. But this... Look, Roger. I know what a shock this whole thing has been to you. Know it better than you. You're you're not a well man. (laughs) A well man? I'm only half alive, and I'd rather be dead than go on living this way. But if I do die, I won't die alone. That's why I brought this along. Roger! Quick, easy, painless. If you won't do what I want, you die. And so does Lorna. Both of you, along with me. You, You don't give me very much choice. No. All right. You win. Get me the hospital. Even before I became fully conscious, before I opened my eyes, I knew, knew that it had been done, that it wasn't his hand anymore, but mine. Still, there was something wrong. I couldn't analyze what it was at first, but it was there, a feeling that something wasn't quite right, that perhaps it wasn't entirely my hand. I sat up. The hand was a mass of bandages, Stiffened with splints. And inside the bandages... Careful, Roger. Don't touch them. Oh, Martin, I didn't see you. I've been here with you ever since last night. Last night? You mean I... I, I've been out that long? 24 hours? It was very important that you keep quiet. You've been under sedation. Oh, oh yes, of course. This isn't the hospital. No. I brought you home with me, back to the house. Oh. I thought it would be best for several reasons. Oh, that's very smart, Martin. We don't want any questions, do we? Not yet. You did do it, didn't you? What? Uh, oh, uh, 
Oh, yes. I knew you would and could. And it's going to work. It is working. I can feel it. Please, Roger. You must be careful with that bandage. You can't touch it, move it, disturb it in any way. I won't, Martin. But I don't have to. I tell you, I can feel the fingers moving, even inside this. And in another week or so... We'll see. Yes. We'll see. Got a cigarette, Martin? Of course, I have it right. <laughs> That's funny. Hmm? What is it? Well, a cigarette case. It was right here in my breast pocket. I, I must have left it downstairs with the hospital. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I can do it. Well, Martin. Yes? I, I think... Here. Yes, here. Here it is. Under my pillow. What? How did it get there? I don't know. It must have fallen out when you bent over. But... No. Why are you looking like that? Because... I think I know how it did get under my pillow. What do you mean? When fingers learn something, special skill... They don't forget it, ever. Mine never have. Even when I'm not thinking of what I'm doing, they go on playing by themselves. These fingers here, they haven't forgotten either. You understand? I'm afraid I forget I'm awfully tired all of a sudden, Martin. Would you mind? No, Roger, I'd like you to get as much rest as possible. There's a friend of mine coming here tomorrow to see you. Another doctor. That's fine, Martin. I'll see you in the morning. Yes, I was tired, but that wasn't why I asked Martin to go. This is because I wanted to be alone, because I had to be alone. Because I knew now what it was that I'd only sensed before. The hand, Hook's hand, had a will of its own. It had picked Martin's pocket without my even being aware of it. I lay there alone in the darkness after Martin went, not touching the bandages flexing the fingers, forcing them to obey my will. I had to do that. I knew I had to do it because I suspected what might happen. And what did happen proved that I was right. I fell asleep finally. And while I was asleep, I dreamed. I dreamed I was walking down a dark, labyrinthine corridor somewhere under the earth. Then... A little closer, Roger. Huh? Just a little closer. Who's that? Who's there? Just me. Waiting for you. Hook. Yeah, Hook. I said I'd get you. No, well. Out of the darkness came a hand that clutched me by the throat, gripped it tighter. 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 I fought against it. Tried to scream. And woke up. Yes, I woke up. And my waking was more horrible than the dream, for the hand was there, gripping me by the throat, moaning. Exerting every ounce of my strength and will, I fought it off and pulled it down. I lay there, bathed in a cold sweat, staring at it, feeling the fingers quivering inside the bandages. My hand or his, I was tied to it now. Tied to a thing that was seeking to destroy me. Shaking convulsively, I leaped out of bed. I ran out into the hall and down the stairs to the living room. The piano. That was the one thing that might save me, save my reason. Seating myself at the piano, I started to play. Using only my right hand at first. I tried to force the left hand. His hand to join in. Then suddenly... No, Roger. No. That won't work. No music. Stop it. Stop it. Do you hear it? It's my hand. 
never. But it is. I'm stronger than you are. Nothing is stronger than I am. Nothing in the world. And there's no escape. Because we're one now, Roger. And wherever you go, I'll be there too. It's not true. It's not. What? What are you doing? Just a little closer to the desk, Roger. A little closer. That paper knife. You can't. But I can, Roger. I told you I'd get you somehow. Some way. Put it down. You can't fight against me, Roger. I told you. I'm too strong. Martha! Martha! Quick! Say! Where is he, Martin? The living room. I heard the piano and... Good, good Lord. Oh, He's dead. Why? How? He was saying something about a hand. He was in a completely psychotic state as a result of shock and a sense of guilt. The state psychiatrist was coming tomorrow to commit him. Oh, Martin. That hand he brought me wanted me to graft on. I I don't know where he got it, but I suspect that was behind the whole thing. Behind it? Yes. What do you mean? You don't really think I did graft it on, do you? Well, I... He was desperate, and I had to do something to quiet him. I splinted his left wrist, wrapped it in bandages... And told him not to touch them. But, Martin, that paper knife in his chest. Which hand is holding it? His right one, his good one. Yes. And still, in a way, it's possible that the dead hand, the one he was so concerned about, did guide it. Her eyes wide with awful comprehension, Lorna stares at her husband, then down at Roger Blaine's body is somewhere in the silent house a clock starts chiming for murder at midnight Remember to be with us again when death stretches out his bony hand and the clocks strike twelve for murder at midnight. With music by Charles Paul, Murder at Midnight is directed by Anton M. Leader. Now there'll be a ring. Or a knock. 
Midnight, the witching hour when the night is darkest, our fears the strongest, and our strength at its lowest ebb. Midnight, when the graves gape open and death strikes. How? You'll learn the answer in just a minute in The Creeper. On this program, we bring you the best and most blood-curdling stories ever written. And so now we bring you a tale which you may have heard before. A tale which we consider a classic in terror and suspense. The Creeper by Joseph Ruskall. In the kitchenette of the New York apartment, a man and his wife listened to the evening news broadcast. New York. The unknown killer called The Creeper has struck again adding a third female corpse to his toll. Hmm. Virginia Peters, a comely waitress, was found strangled to death in her third-floor apartment early this morning while her radio blared. As in the previous murders, a note was found scrawled on the wall with the victim's lipstick and the plea, For heaven's sake, catch me before I kill more. I cannot control myself. Police insist... Now, why'd you turn it off? Oh, how Awful, and in this very neighborhood. Let's hear the rest. It's very interesting. Oh, you... Don't go turning that radio on again, Steve Grant. Heard enough. I'll go out of my mind, for heaven's sake. That's it. A good, solid clue. What is? For heaven's sake. How many men ever use that expression? Oh, shut up. Okay, Mrs. Grant. Pass the biscuits, my little pigeon. Pass the biscuits. E-D-D. Three women in three days murdered in cold blood by a mad fiend right here in Washington Heights. I'm too sick to go out, too scared to stay in. The lock's broke. He sits there eating, 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 past the biscuits. There's nothing wrong with my appetite, my love. Of course. That's what costs you your job on the police force. When I even think of Some it. men drink to escape. I eat. Escape what? What? An ugly tongue, a beautiful face, and a roving eye. In short, a wife. So you're starting that again, you and your crazy jealousy. Yeah, maybe that's the creeper's way of escaping, too, Georgia. Who knows? Shut up. Go ahead and get a divorce. Go ahead. Can I help it if men look at me? Uh. I don't know why you come home at all. Where do you go? What do you do with yourself? Where were you this morning? Why'd you come back? To eat. But someday I'll lose my appetite for that, too. And when I do, my dear, there'll be no escape. And now I'm off again. Kiss. Still using stage lipstick. Wipe it off. How many times must I tell you? You're married now, remember? Steve, wait. Yeah? At least go buy my medicine. Sorry, I got no time. Don't leave me here alone. Stay home this evening. Please, I'm afraid. Oh, don't be silly, pet. Nothing will happen to you. You got a doorman here, an elevator boy, Mrs. Stone across the hall, a phone. You're safe enough. But the night lock, it doesn't work. Oh, oh, oh. now you can't lock me out anymore. It doesn't catch. Something's happened to it since last night. Steve. Get a new one. I can't get a locksmith. I've tried all day. Steve, please. If I want to phone you, where will you be? Out. Goodbye. Take care of your call. Steve Grant. Huh? Well, if it isn't 
old pearly chase. How are you? Here you got thrown off the force, Dave. Yeah, here you got thrown off the news, Pearlie. You heard wrong. I wasn't fired. I was just warned. I wasn't fired either. Just suspended for three days. Eating a lamb chop at Casey's when I should have been ringing in from the box at 162nd with all that trouble up there. On my way to headquarters now for reinstatement. I eat too much, my trouble is. I drink too much. Here you're living up at the Heights, Steve. Yeah. That's funny. Me too. Yeah? Hey, you're married now to a beautiful and lovely young... ...with admiration. <laughs> Say it again. I think I knew her. Wasn't her stage name Georgia Dixon? Yeah, that's her. I love that wench, but... the uh, women. How does a guy handle them? You know, maybe the creeper has the right method. <laughs> Thank you for taking the words out of my mouth. Who's the creeper, Steve? Any angles? You tell me, and I'll split the reward with you. <laughs> Say, what do you think of Inspector Bradley's inside job theory? Uh, nuts. Every janitor's a creeper? And as for that doorman, Jim Ellis, just because he worked at two of the three murder apartments? Pure coincidence. Anyway, they've released him. One thing, though, and I don't think even Bradley's put it together yet. Huh? In all three cases, just before the creeper struck, the door locks had already been tampered with. You don't say. You got a theory? Well, sure. I mean, uh, you take that note on the wall. For heaven's sake, in every case, for heaven's sake, catch me before I kill more. I cannot control myself. Right. Oh. Now, what man uses an expression like that? You want the lowdown? It's just this. A creeper is a woman. <laughs> a gimmick, huh? Yeah. Like the height of the message from the floor is a trick, six feet. And yet I'll lay odds the creeper's no more than a guy your height, say, or mine. Five nine, just like us, you or me. Only crazy. Yeah. How do you figure that? How do I figure lots of things? How do I know where the creeper's gonna strike next? You do? Certainly. Creeper is not so smart. He's just crazy. You play along crazy and you're one jump ahead of him. That's the trouble with Inspector Bradley. Why, he's up a tree. You expect logical clues from a madman? You play along crazy. Make out you're the creeper. And what do you get? Well, go ahead. Let's see. All right. The victims are all redheads. Every one. You've noticed that, of course. Three in three days? Yeah, now that you mention they it. They all lived in the heights, right? Agnes Martin, Jane Krutsky, Virginia Peters? Right. What was the number of the apartment in each case? Agnes lived in 1A, Jane 2B, Virginia 3C. Don't ask me the why or wherefore. Don't ask me the logic. Just play along crazy. See what I mean? Where's he going to strike next? Huh? I don't get you. The next victim of the creeper also lives in the heights. She's a redhead. Her nightlock's been tampered with. She's going to get hers today, and her apartment number's 4D. Well, why are you looking at me? Don't you like my arithmetic? Pearly, my wife's a redhead. We live in the Heights. And our apartment number is... <laughs> You're just a boozy reporter. Your apartment number? 
4D, I told you. 4D, of course. It's pretty late, but I'll have it delivered. I was busy admiring your lipstick, Mrs. Grant. I've nothing like it in stock. 4D, I should have guessed it anyway. Why? Well, a face is a number. Believe me, since you've moved into the neighborhood, Mrs. Grant, for me it has a special number, like uh, Double Dandy Delicious Dream. <laughs> 4Ds, you see? Oh, go on. But you tell that to every customer. Female. I'm a ladies' man? Like the creeper? <gasps> what did I say? What's going on in this block? Raw nerves. You can't joke. The creeper, the oh. creeper. That's all I hear all day. It's mass hysteria. There ain't such an animal. You... You don't think so? I assure you, Mrs. Grant, it's a fairy tale for circulation of the tabloids. I'll send your prescription up with the boy. No, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just wait here for it. Well, it'll take some time. You should go right home and stay there if you're just getting over the flu. I'll tell you what. I'll deliver it myself. It'll be a pleasure. No, 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 no. I'll, I'll wait. I, I may not go right back. I don't want to... I want to be there alone. I'm afraid. Very well. Suit yourself. Uh, have a seat. <laughs> For heaven's sake, stop me before I kill more. What? I cannot control my... <laughs> wait! I was only joking, Mrs. Grant. Wait, Mrs. Grant. Your prescription... Your hurry, dear. I just got such a scare since these awful murders in this neighborhood. Yes, isn't it terrible? Oh. I'm simply frightened to death myself. You walking home? Yeah, I guess so. Well, I'll go with you. It's good we live in the same house. At least if I had a double lock, but the night one doesn't work. Oh, really? Well, I have a chain lock besides, and still The way I'm... it is, I sit and shiver when there's a sound at the door. Can't get a locksmith. Tried all day, but they're all so busy. Mr. Frank on the corner promised to, but didn't know when. Why are they all so busy? Well, my dear, because every woman in the neighborhood's changing theirs, too. Simply a nightmare. Oh, but don't you worry. We'll stay together this evening. Mr. Stone's out, too. Think of it, we've never visited, though we live right across the hall from each other. Isn't that like a big city, for heaven's sake? Or would you rather I dropped in on you? Well, uh, I, I don't well, know. Well, make it your it... place, then. Isn't it horrible, the ghastly things they're saying? The theories one doesn't know what to think next. You believe the latest? The latest? That maybe it's a woman, the creeper... <gasps> A woman? Can you beat it? I just can't imagine how in the world the police figure that, for heaven's sakes. Can you? I say, can you, Miss Grant? Oh, uh, I don't know. I was just thinking of something my husband Though said. I can see where a married woman now, if her husband was faithless, well, I can understand such a theory because they take my husband now. Uh, you've met Mr. Stone, haven't you? Well, Mrs. Grant, why on earth are you staring at me like that, for heaven's sakes? Oh, uh, I... Don't feel well. I must get home. I uh, feel faint. But Mrs. Grant, feel for heaven's sake. Sobbing with terror, the woman with red hair runs up the dark street, back to her apartment on the door with the broken lock, as the hands of the clock move on towards 12 o'clock and... Murder at midnight. And now, back to Murder at Midnight and The Creeper. 
Back to Georgia Grant, hurrying hysterically through the dark streets towards the apartment with the broken lock on the door. Good evening, ma'am. Out late, aren't you? Oh, yeah, you're the uh, new doorman? Just relieving Charlie. Nice night. Yeah, yeah, it was very nice. Here, uh, let me ring the elevator for you. No, you don't have to trouble. No trouble, ma'am. There. Apartment 4D, huh? Uh, yeah. How did you know? Doesn't take long. When will this elevator come? Coming now. Terrible things, ma'am. The happenings. What? The creeper. It's sort of... Uh, Going up? Yeah, yeah. Up and down, up and down. The ups and downs of life, that's me. I'm a living milkshake, Mrs. Grant. Uh-oh. What's wrong, Jimmy? Stuck. Imagine getting stuck between a third and fourth with a production like you. Get going, Sonny. You want me to report you? Okay, okay. Can't you take a joke? <laughs> Maybe I misconstrued that smile you always give me. Maybe you shouldn't order to smile that way. Fourth floor. Let me out. If I drop in later, will you be more receptive? <laughs> oh, home. Oh, thank goodness. Must be going out of my mind. Key. Where's my key? Darn this lock. Darn the lock. Hello. Is the locksmith in yet? Well, I want to know how soon I can get my lock changed. Yes, I know it's late, but he promised. This is Mrs. Grant. Yes, 4D, yes. I know you just explained to me, but Hello, I must... Georgia. Yes? Yes, so, so won't you... I've please? been waiting for you. Don't you little fool, it's me. Do you want the whole house to... That's better. What are you doing here? Oh, don't worry. You haven't got a thing to worry about now. I've come to protect you. Give me the phone. Hello? Never mind about the lock, thank you. Sit down. Make yourself at home. Been waiting here for you. Long time no see, Georgia. What do you want, Pearlie? Me? A headline. Your husband wants two. He wants I should keep an eye on you. What's that? Sure. You didn't think Steve and I were acquainted, did you? Oh, yes. From way back. Just met him at a bar. I don't believe you. What do you mean, keep an eye on me? Oh, just in case the creep... <gasps> oh. Oh. <laughs> you heard of the character? You're mad. You've always been mad, Pearly Chase. Where is Steve? Why should he send you here? Why should he think the creeper will come here? What are you doing here? Told you. Playing along crazy. Got a drink? You're drunk now. And you're getting right out of here. You're nothing but a no-good rummy. And you're nothing but a no-good... You finish it. When I took the drink, it was to drown you out, and you know it. 
I'm still a rum pot, Angel, which means I haven't got rid of you yet. Get out. You're a little two-time and redhead. You're all the same, you redheads. Even a wedding ring can't change you. Oh, don't play the innocent. My business is snooping. I make a living at it between drinks. So your new motto's love thy neighbor, huh? Mr. Stone across the hall? Poor dumb Steve. I'm warning you. Get out or I'll call the police. Stay where you are. Hurry, hurry. What are you doing with that gun? I wouldn't pick up that phone if I were you. You see, there's a big reward for the creeper and a heck of an exclusive, and I don't want to share it. I'm riding a hunch. Now, sit down, darling. Just play along with me while I play along crazy. Sit down. That's it. Like we're expecting company. (laughs) Let's have some music. Don't just sit. Let's have some music. I said turn on the radio. That's it. That's the good girl. Ah, dance music. Ah, let's dance. Give me your arm, let's dance. Ah, like old times. Around and around like my brain. Why are you trembling? I still love you, you little fool. Ask me why. I love you. I love you, you lovely redhead. I could kill you and you deserve it. With the radio on, you could scream and no one would hear. I could put my hand on your throat like this and I could strangle you. Why are you crying? Stop it. I'm here to protect you. Stop crying. Cut it, I say. Cut it out. I can't stand it. I never could. Okay. You want me to leave? All right, I will. It's your funeral. What am I saving you for anyway? Where's my hat? In a few minutes, there'll be a knock or a ring or the door will just open. And you'll be lying in a pool of blood like the other three. Goodbye, my worthless. Give my regards to the creeper. What if he comes back? He wants to kill me. Wants to kill me. Somebody wants to kill me. I must lie down. My head is splitting. Kind of frightened me. Still a spite. That's it. Like the other three. In a pool of blood. Like the other three. Like the other three. Almost. Almost twelve o'clock. Any minute now there will be a knock. Or a ring. (laughs) Yes? This is the doorman, Mrs. Grant. Yes? The druggist is here with a medicine. Shall I let him up? A medicine? Uh, yes, let it. No, 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 no. Don't let that man up. Want me to bring it up? No, 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 no. I'm perfectly all right. I don't need any. I don't need it, you hear? Don't you dare come up. Don't let him. Up. <laughs> <laughs> 
please, please, I must have it changed right away. My lock, my door lock. Yes, this is Mrs. Grant. Yes, I do want it. Of course, anyone can get in, anyone. They want to murder me, but I don't know who. It's the creeper. Oh, you'll come right away? Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much, but hurry. Please hurry or I'll go out of my mind. Thank the Lord. Like the other three in a pool of blood. Any minute now. A knock or a ring. Oh. Who? Who's there? It's me, dear. Mrs. Stone. Oh. What do you want? I've been worried about you. Are you ill? No, I'm all right, Mrs. Stone. I'm feeling fine. Open up, dear. Don't you want me to keep you company? No, 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 thank you. I, I was just... Oh, stop that. No, no, please, go away. I'm going to sleep. Go away. You hear me? Go away. Hello. Hello, Georgia. Are you oh. Right? oh, Steve. Steve, I've been frantic. So good to hear your voice. Where are you? At headquarters. I'm coming right home. Sweetheart, is anything wrong? You no, so. no, no, not now. Not when I hear you, Steve. I don't know what came over me all day. I've been imagining things. So silly. My nerves. I'm sorry about supper tonight, honey. I wasn't myself. My job had me down, but now everything's Oh, of okay. course. Forgive me, Steve. I've been bad, bad, wicked. Oh, darling, if you knew what I've gone through tonight, the most dreadful state. And then that... Steve, did you send someone here today? Early chase? Then you did? Yeah, to keep you company. Isn't he still with you? No, I just got rid of him. Oh, I wish you hadn't. He's an all right guy, smart reporter, lives in the neighborhood, too. Honey, it sounds cockeyed. I mean, Pearlie's theory, but I was kind of worried when I got to thinking, so... Listen, Georgia. Yes? Don't let anyone in the house till I get home. No, no, I won't, Steve. Not anyone, do you hear? Not anyone. Oh, uh, Steve, wait. What? Wait, Steve, it's... uh, Thank goodness, at last, now I can breathe easy. Darling, just a minute. Georgia. Mr. Frank? Mr. Frank. Thank goodness you've come. Please, step in. It's uh, the lock on this door. I want... Just a moment, my my husband's on the phone. Steve? Yeah, what happened? There was something else I wanted to tell you. It's all right, darling. Everything's all right now, Steve. You needn't worry. Didn't I just hear you talking to someone? Was that somebody at the door? No, it's no one, dear. It's just Mr. Frank, the locksmith. What a load. Georgia, listen. Listen, Georgia. That's what I was going to tell you. What is it? The police are on a new trail. They think maybe a locksmith. Georgia, you're listening. They think maybe the creeper's a locksmith. Get him out, quick. What nice lipstick you use, Mrs. Grant. Yes. Very nice lipstick. Very nice. Hello? Hello, who's this? Hurry. Catch me before I kill more. For heaven's sake. Soft footsteps hurrying down the corridor, away from the door with the broken lock now standing ajar, the body of a red-headed woman. And still, should she not have known that her only visitor would be death? Clocks struck twelve for murder at midnight.
Remember to be with us again when death knocks at the door, wearing a familiar face, and the clocks strike 12 for murder at midnight. The part of Georgia was played by Anne Shepard. With music by Charles Paul, Murder at Midnight was directed by Anton M. Leader.
The girl is dead. Tenderly, the figure straightens her hair and gently places the limp body on the ground. Then he opens her clenched fist and carefully so that the thorns will not bruise her flesh. He places in her hand the white rosebud. Pardon me, my good man. Is it true that you are the famous detective Terence Riley? Huh? Oh, Jenny, I didn't see you come in. Well, now that I'm here, how about offering to buy a cup of coffee for the girl you're going to marry? You can never get up enough nerve to ask her. Oh, it's no use, Jenny. I guess we better call it quits. I'm just a dick on the homicide squad, and that's all I'll ever be. And I'm a rich debutante. We don't belong together. Oh, you've been reading too many of those romantic stories, Terry. What is it this time? What's wrong? Yeah, they call him the White Rose Killer. But he's got to be caught. There's a general demotion coming on if he isn't, and that's all I need to get back into uniform. Oh, don't worry, darling. You always look good in blue. Yeah. Just to match the way I feel. Tell me more about the White Rose Killer. What's he like? That's the stumble. He, he could be anybody. No one's ever seen him except the dead. And they don't talk about it afterwards. Just slips out of the shadows and kills and then slips back again. How many has he murdered? Four. And he's not through yet. It's going to be one of those chain things if he's allowed to keep on. Are you sure it's always the same one? Yeah. That part of it we're sure of. It's the same touch, the same way of operating every time. How do you know that? Well, it's a rose. A white rosebud. Death rose. Puts it into each victim's hand after he kills it. Huh? Yep. Yeah. It's always a woman. A young woman between 19 and 23. What's behind it? Do you have any idea? Well, I'm, I'm not sure. But here's what I figured out. You know what a rose stands for. Symbolically, I mean. Why, yes. It's, uh, it's the flower of love. The white rose, uh, the bud, has another meaning. Purity, loyalty, devotion. And especially it stands for a young girl. Well, that's right. And that's about the way I see it. So maybe it's a double cross, committed against our murderer by some young girl whom he worshipped and who betrayed his faith in her. You ought to be a detective, not me. Thanks, darling. I've got a very fine teacher. <laughs> Sweet. There's another thing. The murders were all committed near places where there was music, dance halls, and cabarets and the like. There's a song that brings back the original shock that, you know, gives him the final push over into the darkness. As far as we can figure out, it's the beer barrel polka. Well, how does he commit the murder? Is it always the same way? Mm, always. Strangulation between the hands, with the thumb into the windpipe to keep his victims from crying out. But isn't there anything else you know about him? No, that's, that's why it's so hopeless. He's insane, of course. But there's only this one phase to his insanity. Probably perfectly normal in appearance and behavior. You can pass him on the street and even know it. Well, it's... Only when he sees someone vaguely like the girl he loved and hears that song, the one defective wire in him is jangled and short circuit. But, Terry, the flowers, don't the flowers tell you? He must get them somewhere you could trace. Well, we don't know where he gets them. Maybe he steals them or... Terry, what if you were the one to get him? Well, I mean a citation and a promotion. And then all the things that stand between us would disappear? We could get married? Well, the chances would be a lot better anyway. But what chance have I? Everyone in the department has been working their heads off for weeks and they've all failed. Uh-huh. Uh, Terry, 
What were the girls like? The ones he killed? Well, as, as I told you, they were all between 19 and 23. Their heights were pretty much the same, too. They were all tall girls, around five feet, six or seven. A little taller than you. And all dark-haired. How did they wear their hair? Why, they... Say, what is this? Oh, nothing, darling. Just, just interested. How did they wear their hair? Well, from what I remember, they uh, wore it sort of loose and curly down the back. I suppose each one had a resemblance to that long-dead love of his. That's probably it. Well, anyway, that's how the record stands. And we're all waiting for it to happen again. I see. Uh, Terry, um, I'd like to go home now. I shouldn't have told you all that stuff. I've given you the creeps. Oh, come on, Terry. Take me home. Later, Jenny stands by the window in her room, looking out, thinking. She doesn't move for a long time. Then suddenly, quickly, she goes to her closet and begins to rummage through her many pairs of shoes. Carefully, she picks one pair with three-inch heels. Five foot six or seven. Then she walks quickly to the dresser, opens a drawer, takes out a comb and starts redoing her hair. Worn loose and curly down the back. Well, here we go. Edward! Edward! Yes, miss? Is the car ready? Yes, Miss Virginia. I've been waiting for you. Let's go before Mother sees me. Your mother's been looking for you, Miss. I hope you didn't tell her. No, Miss Virginia, I didn't. Good. Come on, Edward. Where do you wish to go, Miss Virginia? The Starlight Dance Hall on Grove and 2nd Street. The Starlight, Miss? Yes, Edward, that's the place. I wouldn't go there and escort you if I were you, Miss. It's one of the worst places in the city. It has a very bad reputation. The Starlight Dance Hall, Edward. Very good, miss. Very good. Jenny walks slowly around the low light of dance hall. A tall figure leaning against a pillar watches her intently as he idly smokes a cigarette. He doesn't seem to belong there. His clothes don't have the nattiness of a dance lover. Jenny pauses not far from him. Deliberately, he throws his cigarette on the floor, steps on it, and slowly walks over to her. Hello? Oh. Oh, hello. You're not with anyone, are you? Oh, no, I, I'm alone. I thought so. I've been watching you all the time. Have you? I haven't seen you dance yet. I don't know anyone here. How about dancing with me, then? All right. Come on. Let's go out on the floor. Do you come here often? No. I never go to the same place twice. You don't? Why? I'm always looking for new faces. I'm restless. Do you find the faces you're looking for? Listen. Listen to that song. I like that. I like it very much. Yes, it... It is a nice song. You know, you remind me of someone I used to know. I'm trying to think who. I do? Yeah. You mind if we stop dancing and go over and get a drink? No. Uh, let's go. Alan, let's get down for some air. 
We can come back in a few minutes. Come on. But... We'll be back before the music starts. Oh, you're hurting my arm. Am I? I'm sorry. <sighs> Fresh air smells good, doesn't it? It's so dark here. Let's go back. You're not scared, are you? Oh, no, it's... it's Let's it's walk down this I... alley and back. Oh, please, please. No, you Let can't. me go. Oh! Thanks. That's a lovely necklace, beautiful. Why, you're just a cheap... Shut thing. up. All you wanted was my necklace. So long, beautiful. Look out. What's the matter? Behind you, look. Holy... She's dead. A girl. Murdered. With a white rosebud in her hand. Well, Jenny, happened again last night. Just like the other times. The girl strangled in an alley and a white rose in her hand. Any news of the killer? No. He might just as well float through the air for all the trace he leaves. He must have bought the flower upstairs in the dance hall. He must have been there earlier, bought it, and saved no, it. No, there was only one rose sold up there all night. And to a man who had a different girl with him. We had the flower girl at... How did you know that they sold flowers there? I didn't tell you. Well, I... I must have read it somewhere. You couldn't have. It wasn't in any of the papers. No details were given, just the statement that an unidentified body was found. Well, I... Well, I just imagined that they'd sell flowers in a place like that. Well, I'm glad you don't go near those dance halls. Why, with this nut running around oh, loose... don't bother about that. We'd better catch this killer. And fast. Where do you get this wee stuff? To hear you talk, you'd think that you were on the case, too. Wouldn't you think so? To hear me talk? Again, Jenny tours the low dives, hunting for the white rose killer. Her search carries her to the waterfront. And as she walks past each dingy bar, she listens to the jukebox music. A little after midnight, she passes a dirty windowed saloon. The thin music catches her ear. and listens, her eyes alive for some sign, some indication of the person she's looking for. Then suddenly her body becomes rigid as her eyes fall upon a figure huddled in the shadows. Someone's watching me. Slowly she starts to walk up the street. Behind her, the heavy tread of a man's footsteps keep pace with hers. Quiet tread, unhurried but deliberate. For several blocks, it keeps the exact distance. Jenny starts to walk faster. I've got to know if he's really following me. The man quickens his pace. Jenny starts across the street. The man follows. 
She's sure now, sure that the man is following her. She fumbles for something in her purse. Her hand closes around a gun. If he tries anything, I'll shoot. Any trouble, lady? Oh, no, officer. It's all right. You scared him away. Scared who away? Oh, just a man who wanted to bring me flowers. That's all. Well, he brought you one anyhow, lady. What do you mean? Right there on the ground, right by your feet. A white rose. (laughs) Coffee, Mabel. Sure, coming right up. Here you are. Terry. Terry. Hello, Jenny. Sit down. Thank you. Say, what's the matter with you? Look, darling, read the gossip column in this paper. What daughter of a socially prominent family is that way about a detective and waits for him outside the station house in her limousine every night? Private chauffeur and all. But Mama says no. That's not so funny. Oh, they held a big family war council over me just now. Indian powwow, feathered headdress and everything. They did, huh? Well, what did they decide? Oh, I was asked to give my word that I wouldn't see you anymore. I refused, of course, so I had to be exiled. Where to? Our summer home. It's just a few hours out of town, but I'll be there all by myself. Just with Mrs. Crosby, the housekeeper. Oh, maybe they're right. Why don't you listen to them? Are you on their side, too? No. When are you leaving? Right away. Edwards is driving me out. I just slipped out to let you know. Here's the address and phone number of the place in case you want to reach me. Don't lose it. I won't. Well, what's new and exciting about the White Rose Killer? Our famous lover of flowers? (laughs) We're still trying to track him down. I suppose I'll go looking for him at the flower show that's just opened. Oh, a flower show just opened? Yeah. Well, uh, goodbye now. I'll be seeing you. What uh, floor is the flower show, please? Third floor, miss. Three, please. Third floor. Where's the rose display, please? Uh, To your left, over there. See where the man in the gray coat is? In the gray coat? Oh, yes, thank you. They are lovely, aren't they? Oh, you... You startled me. I'm sorry. I was just admiring the roses. Oh, yes, the nicest flowers here. I I just can't keep my eyes off them. Yes, you you can feel that way about some flowers. And that's the way I feel about white roses. Have you been here long? I really don't know. I suppose so. You you see, I've come here every day since the show opened. I, I like to be near the roses, the white roses. Those big ones are nice. No, I, I like the little ones best. The little tightly curled rosebuds. They're so little and innocent. Oh, well, I, I really better be going. Are you going down? Yes. Down, please. Here, miss, I, I took a rose... For you. Thank you. It's lovely. Would you 
care to have a drink with me? Why, yes, thank you. I know of a little place a block or two down there. They have nice music. We'll go there. All right, whatever you say. This is it. Where's the music? A nickel in the jukebox, does it? Any special song you'd like? No, uh, go ahead and pick one. Okay. Reminds me of a, a girl I used to know. Oh, uh, excuse me, I, um, I want to powder my nose. I'll be right back. Do you mind? No, of course not. Sergeant Thomas speaking. Hello, is Terry Riley there? Uh, just a moment, I'll see. Please hurry, it's important. No, sorry, miss. Terry Riley's not here just now. Oh. Uh, will you, uh, will you tell him... Tell him that I can't keep that date with him. Goodbye. <laughs> Do you always go to the phone booth when you want to powder your nose? Why, I, uh... I, I had to make a call. Uh-huh. I'm afraid I'll have to leave you. Oh, wait. Uh, let me come with you. I'm sorry, miss, but I've got other things to do. Oh. What's the matter? That car. Someone that knows me. Let's get away from here. That's just what I'm going to do. So long, lady. Wait, wait. Please don't go. Miss Virginia. Miss Virginia. I'm sorry, Miss Virginia, but I must speak to you for a minute. Oh, Edwards. What did you want? I'm sorry, miss. You'd better come with me at once. I've been looking for you everywhere. Your mother's been taken seriously ill. Mother? Where is she? She's out at the country police, miss. I drove her there shortly before dinner. She wanted to pay you a surprise visit. Oh. I believe the shock of not finding you there upset her, miss. Is she very bad? She had the doctor with her when they left. Mrs. Crosby has gone away for the day. Your mother needs you, miss. Well, let's go. Hurry, Edwards, please. Right, miss. Where is Mother Edwards? In her room, miss. You'd better hurry. Mother? Mother? It's Ginny. Is the doctor in there with you? Mother? Why, there's no one here. The room's empty. The bed hasn't been touched. What are you doing? Merely playing a song, miss. A favorite of mine. Uh, a favorite? Yes, Miss Virginia. Where's Mother? She's in the city, miss. You lied to me. I'm afraid I did, Miss Virginia. Why are you locking the door? You know why, Miss Virginia. It... it can't be. You're not the... The white rose killer? But you see, I am, Miss Virginia. Driving you and your family around day after day. Sitting there right in front of you all the time. It was amusing to watch you hunting for me. Hunting for someone you saw several times a day. But it, it can't be. You're not insane. Of course not. Who said I was? Edwards, you know I'm not the girl who betrayed you. Yes, I know that. Well, then unlock the door and let me out. Please, Edwards. I've killed five times. I've never regretted it. I'm going to kill you, Miss Virginia. Why, Edwards? Why? Because you've been so clever. Too clever. You made yourself look like her, the girl who deceived me. 
I could have killed you the day you first went out looking for me. But I had to be careful. Oh. I almost caught you that night at the waterfront. The night I dropped the white rose when that police car came. Edwards, I... I... I've never done you any harm. Your sweetheart, Terry. He loves you, doesn't he? Yes. That's good. Because now you won't be able to deceive him like my girl deceived me. Keep away, Edwards. Keep away, or I'll... <laughs> you thought you'd use your gun, eh? Well, don't think I was fool enough to overlook that. I took your gun out of your purse. It won't do you any good to kill me, Edwards. I didn't have anything to do with... No, and you're not going to have a chance to break another man's heart like she broke mine. Jenny! Jenny! Terry, Terry! It won't do you any good to call to him. He can't get in here without breaking down the door. Keep away from me. Terry! It will be too late then, because I'm going to kill you now. Jenny, where are you? Terry! First, let me get my hands on that pretty white throat. Oh, keep away. Keep away from me. Terry! Jenny, are you all right? Yes, Terry, I... I'm all right. Oh, Take it easy. Here. Sit down. Oh, Terry, I was so scared. There was nobody here but Edwards and I. How... How did you know where I was? Oh, it was simple. You were supposed to meet me at the coffee shop. You never broke an appointment, and when you didn't show up, I called the number you gave me. You told me the housekeeper was here all the time, and when there was no answer, I got suspicious and came down. Besides, when I got a message down at headquarters that you had to break a date with me, I knew something was wrong. Are you sure you're all right? Yes, I... I'm... Uh... Terry, look. On the floor beside Edwards. A white rose. Must have fallen out of his pocket. That was meant for me. Oh, Terry, it's... It's all crushed. Yeah. Crushed and dead. Just like the white rose killer. And so closes the white rose murders, starring Maureen O'Hara. Tonight's tale of... Suspense. This is your narrator, the man in black, who, speaking for Columbia, hopes you have enjoyed. Well, guys, that does it for our first episode on Spooktober Part 2 and the performances of Mr. Orson Welles and Miss Maureen O'Hara in Death Has an Occupation. Join me this coming Friday as I bring back to the show Miss, Mr. and Mrs. Ozzie and Harriet Nelson in The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet. And don't forget, guys, that this month until December the 2nd, every time you listen to my podcast... The more uh, listeners I receive, the more money my podcast will get. And all that money will go to Toys for Tots for their Christmas gift giveaway. 
to make sure every child has a gift to open this Christmas. I hope you guys have a wonderful day. And always remember to enjoy the show, guys. Thanks.